Good morning and looking forward to getting in God's Word with you. If you've got a Bible, you can open it to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. Just kind of put your finger there, Gospel of Luke. We're going to be in chapter 10 this morning. We finished up the book of Ecclesiastes last week. If you missed it, uh, it's available online. Uh, and this week we're in Luke chapter 10. And so we are a busy people. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, busyness today. Uh, you know, you look at our culture, it's as busy as it's ever been. It doesn't seem to be slowing down any. Uh, we're so busy, we, you know, our most popular restaurants are fast food restaurants, right? Because we're busy. we got places to go, don't even really have time to eat. So we go through the drive-thru to get our food. We, we're so busy that uh, we no longer make phone calls. We send emails, right? Because we don't have time. Might get to chit-chatting, don't have time for the chit-chat. And sometimes when an email won't suffice, we have Text messages, so we just send a little text message, and sometimes we don't even spell words, we just use pictures and faces and smiles and frowns and thumbs up and thumbs down and those sort of things. It's because, well, we're busy and we, we're in a hurry. You know, you can't even uh, go to the store and shop anymore, right? Now we do all of our, most of our shopping online, it seems to be, right? So Christmas shopping, many of you will probably do Christmas shopping online, or a lot of it. Um, Amazon, right? We don't have time to go somewhere and get it in the next hour. When Why do that? When you can order it and have it in two days. Um, so we don't want to get out and have to deal with all of that sort of stuff. And, and even when we decide, well, we've got a little time where we're not so busy, we want to unwind a little bit, and you used to go to Blockbuster and kill three hours looking for a movie, so that you can have an hour and a half maybe left before bedtime to watch it when you get home. We don't do that anymore. Can't keep those places in business. We just rent it online, right? And so you don't have to leave your home because we're so busy. We don't have time for all these things. We are a busy, busy, busy culture. If you don't think you're busy, uh, I would ask you to pull out your iPhone or your Android, which is just another sign of your busyness, and open up your schedule uh, if you've had time to update it lately, and we can talk about how busy we are. So we got things going on at work, we got things going on in our families, we got maybe you have a hobby sometimes, right? Uh, you got church stuff going on. Um, our schedules are just inundated with things, school and things going on with the kids' schools, and your kids have got hobbies. You used to have hobbies, now you have their hobbies, and watching them do their hobbies, right? So we, we're a, we're a busy people, and Christians really aren't much better at this. We're very busy people too. Uh, you know, sometimes you, you get involved in church and it just kind of adds to your busyness sometimes, right? You sign up and you're volunteering for this and you're volunteering that and you're on this committee and you're on this ministry team. Busy, busy, busy. And when so many things are competing for our attention, right? Because that's what's happening. Work competes for your attention. Your family is competing for your attention. Church is competing for your attention. Your hobbies, your friendships, your neighbors. Uh, all these different areas and relationships competing for our attention. Many times our lives are weighted down. We're weighted down. Sometimes we're filled with anxiety. We're filled with worry. We're, we're troubled. We, we've got all these things going on and we, we just kind of become slaves to others. Slaves to unrealistic goals and expectations. Slave, slaves to an overcrowded schedule or unnecessary busyness in our lives or a slave to the expectation of our culture and our peers. That's the case we get ourselves into sometimes with our busyness. And there's good news this morning, and that is that there's freedom to be found if we're properly focused in our lives. There's freedom and proper focus. I say proper focus because just because we're focused doesn't mean we're free. Because you can be focused on the wrong thing, and that can create all kinds of drama in your life. Or you can be focused on too many things. You can be focused all over the place, and that's going to bring all kinds of drama in your life. But when we're properly focused, when we're focused on the right things, right, and then we have the right ultimate priorities, then everything else tends to fall into a place to one degree 
or another. When the main thing is the main thing, it helps us sort out all the other things. Not saying there's no tough calls, not saying we don't get busy. I'm saying it really helps with some of the tough decisions and the chaos in our lives. And this morning's text is about two people who are put in the same situation and they respond very differently. One responds full of worry and anxiety due to the situation that actually they've invited upon themselves. And the other is a picture of absolute freedom. Uh, One is focused on a lot of things and one has proper focus. One's priorities are out of whack and they're focused all over the place. Another one has their priorities in order and their focus is zeroed in. And one person is a picture of just calm and free. And they just, man, they just seem to be rocking along here, right? In their relationship with the Lord. And the other person, by the end of the story we're going to see, is kind of getting a, well, not kind of, they are getting a mild rebuke from the Lord Jesus. And so, look with me at Luke chapter 10. This is a, uh, if you're, if you grew up in and around church, uh, this might be a familiar story to you, the story of Martha and Mary. Um, if, if not, this may be a brand new story to you. So that's fun too. So look with me at Luke chapter 10. We're going to be in verses 38. Through 42, and before I read it, let me pray for us. Father, as we read your word this morning, would you help us to understand it? Maybe to see new things to us and to see old truths in a fresh way. And would you help help us to apply this to our lives and live with freedom today? Help us to find the freedom that comes when our priorities are as they should be. The freedom that comes when our focus is where it should be. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Now as they went on their way, Luke 10.38, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him, went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Alright, familiar text to many of you. Some of you, I just read the story and Mary's already on your nerves. Right? You're identifying with Martha. Right? She's so, she's got all this going on in Mary. It would be nice to sit down and listen to Jesus, but you know, somebody's got to cook dinner, right? And then some of you, maybe you're identifying with Mary and, and you're, and you're thinking, you know, who, how in the world does, does Martha, how in the world does Martha have Jesus in her house and basically ignore him, right? And so maybe you take sides and all that kind of stuff. Now, it's important to understand this as we read this, that Jesus likely would have attracted a large crowd while passing through town. This is right there in the sweet spot of his ministry. I mean, when Jesus comes to town, he brings a crowd. You can go back, actually, a few chapters in Luke, uh, around Luke chapter 5, and Jesus is at a guy's house, and many believe it was Peter's house, and he uh, he is preaching, and the house is so full that people had to climb on the roof with their friend, four guys did, and tear a hole in the roof to lower this paralyzed gentleman down through the roof so that they could get him in front of Jesus so that Jesus maybe would heal him, right? So that's the kind of crowds Jesus tended to to bring. So we don't know exactly how many. It doesn't tell us. I read one thing this week where a guy said there could have been well over a hundred people in this house. We don't tend to read the story that way, do we? We tend to think Jesus and maybe some of the disciples, maybe maybe there's ten, maybe there's twelve, maybe there's thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen people in the house. Maybe. 
But maybe there's dozens of people in the house. What we do know is, is Jesus is traveling through and he's in, he, he comes into their village and this is a family that he's friends with. This is Martha and Mary. You most believe that this is the same uh, Martha and Mary that are the sisters to Lazarus, right? That at one point in Jesus' ministry, he raises from the dead after Lazarus has passed away. Jesus is, is friends with these people. And so it's very possible that he, as he comes through and as they welcome him into his home and he's there to teach, that a massive crowd would have shown, shown up. So as you imagine the scene, it's helpful to not simply imagine Jesus and it's a few people sitting around a dinner table, but um, imagine the chaos that could have erupted as dozens of people begin to come in to hear Jesus teach the Bible. Now, now many times we look at this and we see the way the two women respond, right? And maybe Lazarus is out of town. He's not mentioned. We don't know. Maybe he's on a journey. I don't know. Maybe, I don't think this was during the three days while he was in the tomb. It's not, it's not that going on. But many times we read this and we see the way Martha responds and we see the way Mary responds and we begin to identify because we begin to think this is a personality thing. And a lot of times people basically preach this this way, I think. We kind of teach this this way. And really what we're doing is we're reading things into the text, by the way, that that's just not there. Jesus in no way addresses anybody's personality here. The point of this text is not you're task-oriented and you're people-oriented. not saying God hasn't wired people certain ways. not saying there's not different personalities. Sure. not saying that can't be at work. Sure. That's not the point of the text. The point of the text is not, hey, uh, Martha's more task-oriented and we need Martha's and Mary's more people-oriented. We need Mary's. and we need. That's not the point of the text. Jesus' point of the text is clear. Martha, you're wrong. Mary's right. It's very clear. And sometimes we muddy that, and we get it, but that's very much the point of the text. And so the point of the text this morning is not that some of us are like Martha and some of us are like Mary. I think the point of the text is that we're all a lot like Martha and we all need to be a lot more like Mary. We tend towards distraction. We tend to get off focus and we tend to not let the main thing be the main thing in our lives. And in the middle of the chaos, you see two different pictures here. One person calmly seated listening to Jesus teach. The other having welcomed Him into the home is too busy serving the guests to sit and listen. One's worried and full of anxiety. The other's completely free and at peace. So let's look at these two different pictures. This is what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to show you a picture of improper focus in Mark Martha, a picture of proper focus in your life in Mary, and then we're going to see Jesus' Jesus's invitation to freedom. So first of all, a picture of improper focus. The story opens up very promising, right? Martha hears Jesus is coming to town, and what does Martha do? She invites him into her home. That's a good thing to do. You hear Jesus is coming, you invite Jesus over. Why? Well, he's the son of God, right? I mean, you invite Jesus over, you cook a nice meal, whatever the best thing is you cook, you cook because it's Jesus, right? So, um, in home run, Martha. You're on the right page. Martha's doing good here. Uh, she's knocking it out of the park. She hears Jesus coming into town. She welcomes Jesus into her home. And in their culture, hospitality, big deal. Big deal. And so she's, you know, getting, she's applauded here by her culture, by us, by everybody in the home, by Jesus. That's a good thing to do, to let Jesus come in, to let him have a place to eat and lay his head, and to do ministry. She's on the right track. And then we read past that, and we see that Mary, we're introduced to Mary, and she's sitting at Jesus' feet listening to him teach. Sounds like a good, sounds like a good thing to do. So far, this household seems like it's on track. The story just seems to be getting better and better. But then it says, but Martha, right? So we know the story is changing a little bit. It's going south. But Martha was distracted with much serving. So the first thing we see here in this picture of improper focus is distraction. Martha's distracted. 
And the word distracted means to be drawn or pulled away. It's possible that at one time she was at Jesus' feet and now she's gotten busy and she's walked away from there. We don't know. But the word literally means to be drawn out or to be pulled out or pulled away. And imagine this picture. Everyone else, it seems, maybe dozens of people are all listening intently to Jesus as He's teaching. And Martha's running around and more than likely because they were trying to feed people and clean up from feeding people. And she's banging pots and clanging pans and she's complaining to Jesus about her sister and she looks like she has the weight on the world of her apparently to Jesus. And she's completely distracted from the main event. And the main event is that Jesus is in the house and that Jesus is teaching. And Jesus isn't going to be hanging out teaching forever. And Jesus isn't going to be in your town forever. And so this is the main event. What we understand here, what we learn, is that improper focus leads to distraction from what should, what, what, what our focus should be on. Imagine Jesus coming over to your house for dinner. Imagine you're in Martha's situation, right? And He's going to teach. And you know this. And you've invited Him over. And Jesus is coming over. And He's going to teach the Word. And so you've made a place for Jesus. And you've cleared a spot for Him. And you've welcomed Jesus to sit down and, and to begin His ministry. And But before He comes over, you begin to think about, okay, so Jesus is coming over. This is great, right? I believe Jesus is the Messiah. So I'm excited to have Him in my home. Your heart's full of excitement. Your heart's full of joy. And then you begin to immediately think of all the things that need to go into this, right? And so if you're a list maker, you start making a list. Like a good Christian, you've volunteered to do this. And now, like a good organizer, event planner, you begin to write down the list. Is the house clean? The house has got to be clean. you got to clean things I don't normally clean because, well, Jesus is coming over. What am I going to feed Jesus? What is Jesus like? What does Jesus like? Right? He made all this. Right? You know, you begin to think, you know, what, what is everybody else going to eat? How much is everybody going to eat? Jesus is obviously not a fan of gluttony, so I don't want to overfeed everybody, but it's obviously not a time to fast either. So what in the world am I, you know, as you begin to stress out about all these things, what are, what's all this going to cost? Right? Where are we going to fit everybody? Dozens and dozens of people might show up. And so now you've got a grocery list, you've got a to-do list, you've got a schedule of events, all these things go into this, and you're focused on a lot of things, and somewhere the excitement and the joy that said, I'll do it, and was so excited to have Jesus over, has turned into worry, fear, and a very heavy heart. Because you're focused on a lot of things, normal things, but you're no longer focused on the main thing. You know, for Martha, it's like it's kind of like you, you decide, you know, I'm going to go home this afternoon and we're going to grill steak. Right, you're like, let's, let's go home and grill steak. So you make out your grocery list, right? And so you're like, I need seasonings, whatever seasoning you like. Maybe we want baked potatoes with it. And we put down baked potatoes. We put down whatever we need to drink. We need to pick up some ice, and we need to pick. Maybe you have a charcoal grill. We're going to pick up some charcoal and some lighter fluid. And you've got this long list, and you get there and you buy your whole list, and you get back, and the list is pretty worthless because you left steak off the list, right? And that was like the meal. That's what's happened to Martha. She's made all, she's got all these things, but the, the whole reason for it all is that Jesus is there and that Jesus is teaching. The presence of God in her home. Jesus literally in her home and teaching the Word of God. That's the number one thing, but all of that has kind of gotten crowded out by all the other stuff. So Jesus gets right to the heart of the issue. When you look down at the bottom of the passage, Jesus, towards the bottom of the passage, He says, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but only one thing is necessary. So we see her distraction. Now we know why she's distracted. She's We know it's because she's busy serving, but why is she so busy serving and getting distracted? Because she's anxious and troubled about many things. Martha's problem is her heart. 
It's crowded at, crowding out the main thing. It's anxious and troubled because her priorities have become misplaced. She's no longer focused on the right thing. And when the main thing, when the main event is not the center, other things will busy your life and will ultimately weigh you down. That's human nature. The word for anxious in this text can be a positive or negative. Let me give you an example. In Philippians 2.20, the Apostle Paul said, about Timothy, that he wanted to send him to the Philippians, he said, because I have no one else who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, Philippians 2.20. That genuinely concerned is the same word translated anxiety here. So there it's a positive, right? Genuine concern. But in Matthew 6.25 in the Gospels, when Jesus used it, Jesus said this, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? That's what's happening here. That's Martha's anxiety is the negative kind. It's the worrying about life so much that it's crowding out what's most important. Here's obviously a negative, unhealthy worry and anxiety in Martha's life that's leading to a troubled heart, a troubled life. And troubled there means disquieted and uneasy. In other words, it's visibly noticeable on her. Jesus sees it. It's an unhealthy worry in her heart leading to an obviously troubled exterior. And her main priority became something other than fellowship with Jesus, hearing His Word, and obeying it. And when you look through Luke and you look through Acts, something like 40-something times, over 40 times, the writer, Luke, who wrote Luke and who wrote Acts, talks about the preaching and the teaching of the Word. This story, one of the purposes of it is to show us what the main priority of the Christian is and of the disciple. The most important thing about a disciple is that you be a disciple. <laughs> right? It, it's, it's sitting at the feet of Jesus, right? Communing with Christ, hearing His Word, and obeying His Word. That, that's what this is driving at. But her priorities are off. Now let me ask you, why would she be anxious and troubled about hosting all these people? Well, first of all, there's the expectation of her culture that we've already mentioned. Hospitality is a big deal. So in her culture that she grew up with the understanding of, when you have people in your home, that's a good thing and you treat them a certain way. There was also a desire to please others, I think, maybe working in on her in her heart. What are people going to think? What are people going to think about my place? About my cooking? What's Jesus going to think? Maybe there's also a desire to impress Jesus. This is the chance. You know, if you got the world's best chicken casserole, now's the time to cook it, sister, you know? Son of God's in the house, right? Now's the time to show off a little bit. You know, she's got the best stuff out, right? It's like the president came over or whatever, but it's better than that. It's, G it's the Son of God, right? Maybe there's a fear of failure. You volunteered for this. You certainly don't want to mess it up, right? What if the house isn't big enough? What if there's not enough food? What if people don't have fun? What if this is the one place he can't do a miracle? You know? What, you know? What if this is the place they tear a hole in my roof and they lay the paralyzed man down and Jesus is just kind of like, you know, I would, but the, my stomach's hurting because the meal's horrible, you know? I mean, you're, you're stressing out about all these, there's a fear of failure, desire to impress others, desire to please people, expectations of the culture, all these other things become the focus. And so what does she do with all this anxiety? She seeks to alleviate it by meeting her need. Busily serving her guest and ultimately gets distracted from the main thing, from the main event, from the main course. When you find yourself overly busy with doing and serving and going and performing out of fear of what others think or a fear of failure or a fear of being good enough, you're identifying with Martha. And we all do from time, one time or another. There are things for you, waiting for you. 
outside this room, at work, at your kid's school, within the church. All kinds of to-dos and requests and priorities. And if you get your focus off what matters and what is most important, you may feel an unhealthy pressure or weight to meet the perceived demands of other people in your life or around you. To be liked. To impress. To do well. To get to that a boy, that a girl. To not embarrass yourself. To not fail. To be accepted by God. To be good enough for God. When all the things around you begin to creep in, you will begin, and that becomes the focus, is on all the things like it was for Martha. The many things. And that becomes the focus. You will get pulled away from the main thing. When the main thing's the main thing, other things fall into place. When the focus is on the many things, you end up completely ignoring the main thing, usually. Notice the downward spiral of Martha's life. She's not only distracted, then she grows doubtful. She goes up to Jesus, right? This sounds like a wonderful idea. Jesus is teaching and she goes up to Jesus and says, Lord! And, and, and in the Greek, I actually read that it, the way this is phrased, it's like she burst in upon him. So he might be like mid-sentence. I don't know. He's like, you know, do not be, do not worry, do not be anxious. Hey, Lord! I gotta worry. I need to bring to you. She says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? His priorities are not her priorities, so she's asking him if he cares about her situation at all. The problem is that in her situation, she's actually the problem. She thinks Mary's the problem. She's doubtful towards her sister. She obviously doesn't care about me. Make her help me. She's doubtful towards the Lord. She assumes that her sister must not care about her. She's assuming that the Lord must not care about her. Lord, don't you care? I mean, how do you ask Jesus if He cares? Right? Of course Jesus cares. But in this situation, you've created a problem. She's having a pity party. And playing the victim. My sister just sitting there like a lazy bum while I work my fingers to the bone. She doesn't really love me. She's, she would, don't she see what all I'm having to do all by myself? And Jesus, what is he thinking? Letting her get away with this. Does he even care about me? If you're focused on the wrong thing, those focused on the right thing many times will feel like your enemy. That's what happens here. She's treating Martha, Mary and even Jesus a little bit, like they're against her instead of for her. And the problem is that she's got the wrong priorities. Their priorities are correct. Hers is wrong. And when somebody else's priorities are right, and your priorities are wrong, and your focus is here, and their focus is in the right place, it's you're going to collide, and there's going to be rub, and there's going to be difficulty. And you might think, well, they're against me. They're not for me. They don't love what I love. They're not concerned about me, concerned what I care about, all these sort of things. And really the problem is your priorities are off many times. It's kind of like if you pick up a pair of glasses and they're dirty and they're filthy and you're looking through those glasses and you look around and you see dirt and you see muck and you see mud on all the people that you're looking at. Well, it's not on the people, it's on the glasses. It's your lenses need cleaning. And that's what's wrong here many times with us is it's the lens we're looking through that we've dirtied up and we're looking at things wrongly because our priorities, our focus is off. So she's doubtful of the Lord and of others. Then she becomes demanding. Tell her then to help me. She just told Jesus what to do. Did you catch that? I mean, she's getting bossy. She's obviously already tried to tell Mary to help her. And Mary's just kind of like, you know, I'm trying to listen. She's a note taker, right? She's like, I'm, I'm focused here. And 
So she goes to Jesus, well, you know, you're Lord and commander of heaven and earth. You've walked on water. You've raised the dead. You've healed the blind. Can you make this woman help me clean this house, serve this food, do this? Tell her then to help me. And if the main thing is not the main thing in our life, then we think our things are the main thing. And that's where Martha's at right now. Her urgent request must be the most important thing in the room. Why? Because she's made the priority list and she made it out wrong. Why should Mary have to align with Martha's priorities? More importantly, why should Jesus have to align with them? But that's what's happening. That's what she thinks needs to happen. If your priorities get out of whack and your life gets overwhelmed with unnecessary business, you may, like Martha, turn demanding and bossy and critical of others. There's a better way to live than a life of worry and anxiety and fear of what others think and there's a better way to live than that. And when we're living that way, it's many times it's because our focus is off and the main thing's no longer the main thing and the most important thing that's supposed to be about us is no longer to us the most important thing there is about us. It's something else. And it's a picture in Martha of improper focus. Secondly, we see a picture of proper focus in Mary. You know, Jesus says that Mary chose the good portion. That's how he phrases it. That's a pretty vivid picture. There may have been a lot of food on the table that day, right? Martha has fixed maybe just tons of food. Maybe they had chili. I don't know. A lot of people, right? Chili and stew and there's all kinds. There's cornbread. I don't know. They're not, I guess they wouldn't be eating those things, but that's the way I imagine it. All kinds of good things on the table that day. And everybody had their helping and had their serving, had their portion. But Jesus is telling Martha the best portion, the best thing, the best helping, the best serving, the best portion that was here today wasn't on the table. wasn't what you cooked. <laughs> it's, it's what I've prepared. It's, 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 it's standing in front of you. It's me teaching the Word. That's the good portion that she's chosen. And she's missed, Martha's missed out on it. The term portion is actually used in the Old Testament to refer to the Lord being what you treasure most in your life. In Psalm 16.5, it says, The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. Psalm 73.26, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The psalmist uses it to describe, this is what it's like to treasure the Lord above all. And Jesus echoes that when He says, She's chosen the good portion. She's chosen me. She's chosen me and to sit at my feet and to be my disciple. Communion with Jesus, hearing His Word, obeying His Word, this is the greatest values of the disciple. And the Lord is the good portion, and you are to prioritize Him. And prioritize His Word. Listen, doesn't Mary look free compared to Martha? Yeah, she's like footloose and fancy free. She's kicked back, right? She's got a soda. She's listening to Jesus. She's not clanging pots and pans, stressing out, bothering, you know, running up bothering people, trying to get them to help her. I mean, you can see Martha's worry in the text. Mary, on the other hand, it's just like you can feel the freedom that she seems to have. Mary is the one focused on getting the good portion. Is first of all, attentive. At the beginning of the text, it tells us she sat down at the Lord's feet and listened to His teaching. That's, that's actually the actual position of a disciple. 
Uh, when you read Paul talk about learning at the feet of his disciple or in Acts, he says he set at his feet. That was the, that was the terminology for being a disciple. You set at the feet of the rabbi. And so Jesus, by the way, that was countercultural for the rabbi to offer for the ladies also to sit at his feet and learn, right? And Jesus being countercultural here, he, he's, he's opened up his teaching to all. And so, She's seated at his feet like a disciple because the proper place of a disciple is at the feet of Jesus, prioritizing the teaching of Jesus. She's in the posture of a learner. In a submissive position. Mary and Martha had different focuses that day, and so one is attentive to Jesus, the other is distracted from Jesus. A heart that is attentive to hearing and obeying God's Word is a heart that's it's focused on Jesus as the main priority. That's focused on Jesus as the most important thing in your life. A heart that is focused on valuing God's Word says and values over what culture values what God's Word says over what culture says. Values what God's Word says over what people think. Value what values what God's Word says over the teachings of the prophets and the scribes of our current day. She's attentive. You know, if a student is focused on getting good grades, they really want the A, and they've got to have the A, and they know that they must, they know they need the A, and the teacher is lecturing that day, and they know that there's a test coming at the end of that day, and they must have an A on the test, and they want the A on the test, are they going to pay attention to the teacher? Yeah, because they're focused on the A, they're attentive to the teacher, right? Focus drives attention. You will be attentive towards what you're focused on. And many times, the reason we're not attentive to God's Word, the reason many times we don't hear God speak through His Word, the many, many times we don't prioritize God's Word is because we're not focused there. That's not where the focus is. Jesus and His Word is, is not really at the center at that time in our lives. Attention follows focus. Are you attentive to the Word of God? Do you spend time in God's Word? Is that a value to you? Something that you... Cherish? Do you obey God's Word? Do you seek to live in accordance with it? Let me ask you, where do you look to figure out how you should parent? How you should resolve conflict? How you should treat your spouse, handle difficult times in your marriage? How you should steward your money? How you should handle various relationships in your life? Where do you, what's the primary driver behind that? You say, it's the Bible, is it? When's the last time you read it? I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just trying to point out something. If we're not careful many times, we'll say one thing, but in practicality we're living a totally different way. Right? You know, I had this problem going on over here with so-and-so, and I heard something on the radio the other day, or I saw something on television the other day, or I thought of something when I saw this movie, or it reminded me of this such-and-such, and it made me think maybe I should do this instead. How many times do you say that versus saying, I was reading the Bible the other day, I heard in this message the other day, I was thinking on this in Scripture the other day, that'll tell you what's really leading you. I heard somebody say one time, if this is not your Bible, something or someone else will be. Attentive to the Word of God. She was also proactive. Jesus said Mary has chosen the good portion. It didn't just happen. It didn't fall into her lap. She chose it. There were other things that Mary could have been doing, just like Martha was doing. She didn't find herself at Jesus. She she didn't just find herself at Jesus' feet. She chose to sit down at Jesus' feet. Listen, to say yes to Jesus, she said no to dozens of other things. Do you get that? 
This was a proactive decision. And if we're going to say yes to what we should, that means sometimes we're going to have to say no to other things. Many times our failure to proactively say no is because we haven't really said yes in the first place. Imagine you go into the emergency room. Right? I know that's not a nice thing to imagine. But imagine you go into the emergency room and you've broken your finger. We'll give you a very minor injury. You've broken your finger and you go into the emergency room and, and, and nobody's there, but there's really only one doctor on call and you go into the emergency room in this, maybe it's a small town, right? You go into the emergency room and you've got your broke finger and you're thinking, okay, well this, I, I need to get this, uh, they're gonna put a little thing on it and all this kind of stuff, but maybe it's just in a lot of pain. So you really, really, really want them to help you right now because it's just a really bad break, maybe. Maybe it's broke a few times, I don't know. And you've been there about 30 seconds, just in time for, for them to, to greet you and to be talking to you. And about that time, I come walking in, and I'm holding my left arm in my right hand. <laughs> Gruesome picture. Here's the point. Are they going to think twice about saying, excuse me? No. Right? I mean, they're like, like, they're just like, they're, they forget you're there, right? And they immediately go begin to attend to the person holding their arm in their hand. Now this is a much bigger deal because they have like this priority, right? And they know that there's a certain way that the emergency room is going to operate. And I don't know exactly how that works, but I'm pretty sure dude holding arm in hand ranks high on the list. And so immediately they begin to attend. And nobody looks at that and goes, what are you thinking? What are you? I mean, my finger's broke, right? You would just be like, you know, you're trying to help, you know. And we look at that and we say, well, that's a silly illustration. Well, it's because it's so obvious. It's so obvious what the priority should be. And what I'm saying is, many times in our life, the problem is, we're not clearly seeing Jesus and His Word as the priority. If you clearly see Jesus and His Word as a priority, many things become very black and white. And sometimes it's really easy to know what you have to say yes to and what you have to say no to. I'm not saying there's no hard calls. I'm saying a lot of decisions get made for you. Right? For those attendants in that emergency room, decisions been made for them on this one. <laughs> they don't have to go look it up in the book. And go, I wonder what I should do right here. It's, it's already been made, right? I, I know this one's a no-brainer, broke finger, missing arm. This guy goes in first, right? And when Jesus is the main priority, when He's at the center of your life, when hearing and obeying the Word of God, being a disciple is what you value most, when the Lord is your portion, then that helps make so many other decisions so much easier. But when you're off-center from that, things begin to get real weird and really difficult and really trying. Life's hard enough without us complicating it. If you're a Christ follower today, if you want to keep your focus where it should be, it starts with saying yes to the right focus. The right focus before you can align the right priorities. And then you, many times you have to follow that up with some no's. Some no's. Mary had to tell Martha no. She had to tell a lot of things no. When you're looking at life through a lens of Jesus being at the center and building a life on His Word, then what becomes the most important is not what others think, not what urgency demands, not what task is required, but what does God's Word say? What does God want me to do? What do I feel like I need to do right now? What does God want me to do? The question changes. We must proactively weigh our decisions in accord with the right priorities which flows from a proper focus. What does this mean in relationship to Jesus and what His Word teaches? Because when Jesus is at the center of His Word, Jesus is at the center and His Word is prioritized in your life, when that's the case, His Word begins to set all the other priorities. 
That's why Jesus is so much more than someone we just add to the top of the list, right? His Word begins to set many of the priorities for us. So when you have situations come up at work, demands at work, promotion opportunities, a new job is offered, all these different things, you first pour it through the grid of what does God's Word say and what does it say about the priorities that God has placed in my life and what, how He tells me to prioritize my life through His Word. That's like the first grid it goes through. And once it gets through that, you can deal with all the other preferential stuff. Do I like this job? But first, it gets poured through that. And that sifts out a lot of junk. Family. When you're thinking about how should we spend our time? How should we schedule? What should we do here? How should we use our resources? All these sort of things. When you apply that strainer, that grid, that little screen of Jesus and His Word, and you begin to pour that decision through that, a lot of the junk gets, and you begin to be able to see clearly because it begins to separate. When you begin to look at your children's lives and their prior, what their priorities should be because you're responsible for setting them for them while they're children because they're children. And you begin to think, oh, what, what, sh- what should, what should we do here? Right? They want to do this, 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 and this, and I, I think they need to do this. What should we do? But when you begin to pour it through God's Word, when you begin to prioritize being a disciple and Christ at the center, a lot of decisions begin to get made. But if we teach them that sports and hobbies are more important than meeting with God's people, don't be shocked when they grow up to live that way. Don't be shocked if you teach them that grades are more important than Jesus and His Word, that they grow up to think their job's more important than Jesus and His Word. It's the way you disciple them. They get in a new grade. Now it's at work. So it comes first. We have to take the responsibility there. So the point is, when we get the top priority right, when we get the focus right, the priorities begin to take shape. And properly focused disciples are proactive disciples. We have to make these choices. We have to be proactive. Say yes and say no. And when Jesus and His teaching is first and foremost, everything else can be seen in proper focus. And this brings so much freedom. It relieves you of so much anxiety and so much stress many times when you know, you know what? I belong to Jesus and I'm His disciple. He's the most important person in my life. And the most important thing about me today is whether I choose to hear and obey the Word of God and walk in the way that He has for me. A lot of other things matter a lot less. And a lot of decisions get a lot easier. Not saying there's no tough ones. Not saying there's no stress. Not saying there's no difficult decisions. That's wishful thinking, right? I'm saying we add to the mess. When we're off focus. Thirdly, there's an invitation to freedom. Think about this. Martha had invited Jesus in. And although she was working hard and super busy, she was actually ignoring her main guest. Jesus was the one she invited over. There's dozens of other people there, but He was the invited guest. He's the Son of God. He's the one... That's her Lord and the one that she's invited into her home. And now, not only is she not being a good hostess to him, she's actually interrupting him. She didn't mean to do that. This is not where she planned on this going when she made the invitation or when she began to get distracted. But that's where it's happened. And we do this. Believers do this. We invite Jesus into our life. We welcome Him. And then many times, over time, we get distracted. We begin to ignore. We go through seasons like this. You know, there's a greater danger though. A warning here. 
It's possible that you could allow the Word of God, the Gospel, to be completely choked out of your life by the cares of life, by the riches of life, the pleasures of life. So you have to understand this story in Luke 10 is written just two chapters after Jesus' story of the parable of the soils in Luke 8. And in Luke 8, 14, Jesus described one type of soil that hears the Gospel and doesn't properly receive it and doesn't bear lasting fruit, right? That falls to the wayside. This way, as far as what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way are choked by the cares, there's that word, cares, the anxieties, and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. When the cares of the world, the anxieties of the world, and the riches of the world, and the pleasures of the world, when these things begin to prevent fruitfulness in your life, that is a major red flag. Because Jesus said it's possible for someone to, to say, hey, I'm welcoming Jesus into my life, and to so let the things of the world choke it out that you never bear fruit. And He says in the end, what, what, here's what was really true, they never really welcomed me in the first place. They are putting on. So that's one of the dangers we have to understand this morning. We're, we're playing with fire when you're playing with your focus. What we allow to dominate us in our time and our schedules is a really big deal because it's revealing of our hearts. And the good news is that Jesus offers us a better way. He offers us a, be- a better path. He, in this situation, He offers Martha, I believe, an invitation to be just as free as Mary is. Notice the loving concern of Jesus. He looks at Martha and he says, Martha, Martha. Just, just right, you can just stop right there and you can just hear it. Right? For, repeating her name shows emphasis. It gets her attention, but it also conveys emotion. This is somebody Jesus knew. The men you know each other and we're friends. And I look at you and I say, you know, John, John. If you look at me and you say, Josh, Josh. Now you're trying to get through to me, right? He looks at her and says, Martha, Martha, listen to me. This is important what I'm about to say. I'm concerned for you. He's not stoning her here. He's not condemning her here. He's trying to help her. He sees past her handful of dishes and her complaining and her demands and he sees an anxious heart. A heart that is focused on a lot of things and not focused on what mattered most. And he isn't saying, hey, Mary chose better than you so get over it and get back to work. Somebody's got to do the dishes. That's That's not what Jesus is saying. No, I think this is more of an invitation. He tells her something that was both convicting and free. He says, one thing is necessary. Well, that's convicting. Why? Because right before that he said, you're anxious and troubled about many things. (laughs) And one thing is necessary. Well, that's convicting. That means my focus is all off. But then it's it's also freeing because he's telling me I don't have to focus on all those other things. But there's actually only one thing necessary. In other words, I don't... I don't have to be like this. I don't have to be in this situation. I don't have to continue in this situation. There's only one thing necessary. All this other stuff's not even necessary. So, yeah, it's convicting, but it's freeing. It's an invitation to be different. She's worried about how to feed all these people. And standing in front of her is someone who's fed thousands with just some fish and some bread. On two occasions. At least. I think he's got this, right? I mean, she's stressed about the meal. And the bread of life is in the room. I think he's got it. She's filled with anxiety and trouble. And the Prince of Peace is teaching that day. The irony is thick in this passage. Everything that she really needs 
And that crowd really needs is literally standing in the room right there in front of her, offering her freedom from her slavery to the tyranny of the urgency of the moment and the task that really are distractions from the most important thing. And then Jesus offers a promise. He says, you know what? Mary has made the good choice. She cho- she's chosen the good portion. And he says, it will not be taken away from her. He kind of takes up for Mary, right? It's good news for Mary. It's also good news for Martha. Jesus stands up for Mary. He's not going to let Martha rob her of her wise choice because she's focused correctly. And many believe there's a deeper meaning here that it's more than about I'm not going to make her get up and go to the kitchen. I'm not going to make her get up and take that guy's plate. I'm not going to make her go, you know, put, you know, go around and help you, you know, wash people's feet or whatever was going on that day in their culture. No, he's mean it'll never be taken away from her. She's chosen the one thing that's going to last forever. Fellowship with me and my word. That's forever. Right? The, the food's going to spoil. These people are going to be hungry again. A new need's going to come up another day. But this, this, me and my word, this is forever. It's never going to be taken away from her. And the sad thing is many people spend their lives busy with things that seem important in this life and maybe are important in this life to various degrees, but they completely miss out of the one thing that can never be taken away. The one person that will never let you down. Right? Jesus. The... His Word that will never fail you. That's always true. His Word that will be just as true one billion years from today as it's true right here in 2016 sitting in this room. And He'll be just as faithful to His people one billion years from today that He is right now sitting in this room. Or as He was back then as He stood there talking to Martha and Mary. It would be a shame to miss out on the one thing that can endure forever because our focus is on all the things that are really less important. Now let me give us a word as just as the church, as North Park. As we seek to treasure Jesus and His Word together, we're going to have to constantly ask the question if that's going to be our main focus. You know, there are a lot of Martha churches, not just Martha Christians. Churches that are distracted, that are busy with many things that seem very good sometimes, but that somehow the main thing stopped being Jesus and His Word at some point. And we got things that compete for that already, right? It's just the programs and ministries and events and schedules and committees and priority and all these sort of things. And things that need to get done, important things, but they're not the main thing. And right now, we're actually going through, as many of you know, seeking out to find out, is it feasible for us to, to build? To build a, a place to worship? And let me just tell you, that's if God so chooses to make that feasible in this near future, that is a major potential distraction from the main thing, which is Jesus and His Word. But it don't have to be. Assuming focus is where it needs to be. Opportunities can become distraction if Jesus and His Word is not at the center of our heart. But there's great freedom in proper focus, church. Great freedom to be able to say, that's not as big a deal. That's not as big a deal. That's not important at all. Why are we doing that? Great freedom comes with focus. But for us personally today, Jesus is offering us an invitation. An invitation to not be overwhelmed with worry, overwhelmed with anxiety, overwhelmed with a troubled heart, overwhelmed with the weight of the world trying to figure out how to rank all these priorities and fit everything into the schedule. A better way to know 
what to say yes to many times and what to say no to. An invitation to sit at His feet and to walk in His Word. To simply follow Him. You know, if you don't know Christ today, you'll never know true freedom apart from Him. And the most important thing for you today is to hear Jesus' Word. The good news of His Gospel. That He's the Son of God. That He came to die for your sin. That He died for your sin on the cross. And that He rose again. And that you can only be saved by personal faith in Him. That little clip. That's the most important thing for anybody that doesn't know Christ today. Is to know and understand that Jesus is the Son of God. That came for you personally. To die for your sin. To be raised from the dead. So that you can repent and believe and have faith in Him. You say, well, I'm thinking about 500 other things. Lunch and tomorrow at work and this and this and this. If you don't know Christ, the most important thing is that message and that truth. And that's what Jesus is trying to get through to Martha. And that's what Jesus is trying to get through to us. And if you do know Christ today and you're a believer, the most important thing for you today is what are you going to do with Jesus? And what are you going to do with His Word? And everything else shapes around that. You know, when I think about this story, I wonder how it ended. All we know is how it ended in the sense of Jesus said it's not going to be taken away from her. That's the last thing we get. Don't you wonder how Martha responded? I do. I'm like, I wonder what. You know, because I imagine Martha was like, she's got the dishes in her hands, she's got a towel over her shoulder, right? I mean, she's sweating her hair. I mean, she's just stressed out, right? She goes up to Jesus and she's panicking and she's like, will you tell her to help me? You know? And I just picture Jesus sharing this with her and I just I like to think that it got through and that she just laid the stuff down and she just sat down at Jesus' feet and I like to think that he wasn't done yet and he had more to say that day and that at least for the last few minutes or the last hour or however long they went in those days she chose the good portion you know if you're a believer today the most important thing about you is not what you're doing for a living or whether you're going to get that promotion or it's not how much money you make or the car you drive or your mortgage. It's not where your kids go to school and if they get into that school or don't get into that school or how many activities they're in and how much uh, money you help raise for the school and how many things you volunteer for, how many committees you're on at church. or what, Those things are not the most important thing about you. What your neighbors think of you in your yard, what, what, your, what, your, what your kids' friends think about you and what whether your kids call you now that they've grown up and gotten out of the house and how often they call you or your grandkids call you. None those are not the most important thing about you. The most important thing about you today is what you do with Jesus and what you do with His Word. Your identity is in Him. And the most important thing about your day every day is how you respond to Him. And He invites every single one of us today and every day to sit down at His feet and to choose to walk in His Word. There's always room there. Even when we've been busy and toiling and doing all kinds of other things, there was still room for Martha right there at the feet of Jesus. And there's still room for you today.